What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, that's where we're going to be starting today. As last week, we left off at verse 15 of Revelation chapter 11, so we're going to finish that today. We're going to get into chapter 12 today, and uh, we're going to define some terms in chapter 12 so that as you go back and you begin to journal uh, through chapter 12, you kind of have a deeper understanding and a grasp of what some of these things mean. And so... Um, let's go ahead and, uh, and by the way, uh, we have just one announcement today, uh, which is July 18th through the 22nd, we're doing our VBS here at, uh, at Bowdown, and so um, it's open to students uh, entering kindergarten through fifth grade, so if you know of any, any uh, young people, um, the registration ends on June 27th, June 27th. And so you can email Cheryl at bowdownchurch.com to, to get a sign-up link. And so, um, yeah, that's our only announcement. So let's get into the Word of God. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse 15. And uh, Nick, if you could throw up the, the, the sign um, of the trumpets and everything, I would appreciate it. Verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And so the seventh angel blew his trumpet. We are here, Revelation chapter 6, if you look up at the board, those are the six seals. And then we've been tracking through, right, chapter 8, chapter 9, 10, uh, chapter 11, last week, and we're still in chapter 11, but the, 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 11 witness, or the two witnesses in chapter 11 was the second woe. And so this last trumpet, the, sev- the seventh angel is going to blow his trumpet. This is going to be the last woe, and then things are going to happen. And so here this trumpet is blown, and all of a sudden, there's loud voices in heaven, loud voices, saying this, the kingdom of this world has become, and I want you to highlight has become. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The reason why I had you highlight has become, has become, is because the tense in this verb. There's a certain tense. The tense in this verb is basically saying that this has already happened. It's already happened. So they're proclaiming something that has not yet happened because, again, the seventh trumpet releases now the seven veils or the seven bowls of judgment, which is the judgment of God. In fact, we're going to see in Revelation 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, 17 and 18, the movement of the Antichrist, the beast, And all of this stuff that's still happening in the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. So this statement, though, is saying that this is already happening, but it yet hasn't happened. Why is that important for us? Well, I'd like you to turn to Mark 11, please. And I want you to always keep your place in Revelation, because we're always going to be coming back to it. 
as we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this book of the Bible. But I want you to turn to Mark eleven twenty two. Mark eleven twenty two. And this is Jesus talking. So so Jesus answered them, have faith in God. What does it mean to have faith in God? Do you know the root word of, of faith it is a Hebrew word picture of a camel that's carrying packages or a load, but when the camel comes to his destination, the camel will bend down on the ground, his neck will go to the ground, and they'll roll off onto the ground the packages that the camel was carrying. And that's where the root word of faith comes from. It means to roll off onto or to commit to. So when we believe in Jesus, when we have faith in God, it means that I've rolled everything off of my life onto Jesus and I'm not carrying it anymore. My life is yours, Jesus. It belongs to you, and I don't want to pick it up. Do you know we try to pick it back up? Jesus says, have faith in God. Take all of your life and roll it off onto God. Cast my cares upon you because I care for you. But if we don't cast, he can't carry it. He can't carry it. We have to roll it off. Whatever you're dealing with right now, are you rolling it off, right? Jesus is saying, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Verse 23, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes in what he says, it will come to pass and it will be done for him. Now, mountain is a word picture, just like the word pictures we are going to see in Revelation chapter 12. It doesn't mean that you can take the Himalayan mountain and throw it into the sea, right? What it means is mountains speak of adversity. They speak of trials. And we all have mountains and we have valleys and there's seasons in life that we're in. And Jesus is saying, whatever adversity, whatever trial, whatever mountain you're going through, you can speak to that and say, no, it's going to go in the sea. The song that we sung right before I came up, That I worship like it's already done. I may be going through a difficult mountain and adverse time. But I'm going to begin to praise him like it's already done. I'm going to declare this is going to be overcome. By the blood of the lamb. I trust you, Jesus. 24, verse 24, same chapter. Jesus continues. I tell you. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. And I want you to highlight that. And it will be yours. Now, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, there's conviction in my heart. There's conviction in my heart. 
as I was, uh, like always, I want to, when, 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 when I speak, when I'm in a text, okay, God, am I, am I walking like this? Because I see in Revelation chapter 11, it says the kingdom has, has already, has already. They were worshiping as if it already happened, even though in reality it hasn't happened. That is what faith is, the substance of things hoped for, things not yet received. And Jesus is telling us, that when we pray, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So the question is, in my prayer life, would it be more relatable to that one guy, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief? Would it be more kind of to... Uh, the standpoint of how long, oh God, or when, oh God, or when, oh God, where we're, we're, we're walking in the reality of what we're in, and, 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 and we're not moving out of that, and we're always kind of at a place where we're in need. Now, there is a time and place for that because we're needy people. He says he comes to restore our soul. So, so I'm not discounting this, but there's a both and. And this is the other side. And, and if I look at the church, right, I see her more praying, and they pray, and if it's your will, God, and you just kind of leave it there. We'll see what you do. We don't know. Jesus here, he's saying, when you pray, believe you've already received it. That's faith. That's faith. Now, this is, this is where people get off. It's not, okay, I believe I've got this, this brand new Lamborghini. He's going to be in my parking lot, right? That's not what it's talking about. I taught on this a few weeks ago. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, present your request to God. I missed a part. Do not be anxious about anything, but prayer and petition. Present your request to God, but it says with thanksgiving there. You can't be thankful if you don't believe he's going to do it. If I don't believe he's going to do it, I can't be thankful. Therefore, I'm not giving it to him in a proper way. I'm giving it to him. It's like Jesus, the woman uh, comes to him, hey, and, 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 and he kind of rebukes, I, I can't remember who it was, but, but he's talking to somebody and he says, if you believe, or if you can, if you can heal, like we're talking to the God of all creation and he is calling us as his children to begin to believe like he is going to do this. I believe you're going to do this. Look, listen, so I'm in charge of a, of a, of a budget here at Urban Youth Impact. And in the budget, we only had enough for one bus. That was already approved in the budget. But we felt led to step out in faith and say, two buses. And we had to believe, right? And here's the funny thing about God. $15,000 came in last week. When did they go to camp? Last week. What was our shortfall? 15 grand. Comical. Comical. God he shows up a lot of times when the Israelites are breathing down our neck. He could have had the Red Sea opened, but he just kept it closed. And we're called to move as if it's opened, as if he's going before us, as if it's already happened. Okay? 
And so let's go back to Revelation 11. So in your quiet time, ask the Holy Spirit, okay, am I the kind of person that is always praying like, like kind of whiny prayers, like when God, when God, when God? Now, again, if you're hurting, if you're in trial, it's, that's okay. I'm not discounting that. But the flip side of that as well is that we have to begin to believe. We have to believe we've received it. It's both and. There's a time to weep and mourn and cry, but there's a time to rejoice and to celebrate as if it's already done. The kingdom of this world, verse 15, has become, it's already happened, even though it hasn't happened. And let me just say, not only with our prayer life, guys, but also with how we deal with one another. One of my biggest regrets as a father is all the correction that took place that never ended with an encouragement for my children to come into who they are in Christ. So, we know the story with Peter. Peter denied Christ three times. And in fact, in pride, he said, I'm going to die for you, Jesus, right? He fails miserably. Miserably. Jesus meets him on the beach in the end of John, and he says, hey, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Jesus says back to him, or, or Peter says back to Jesus, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Like, phileo is the brotherly love, agape is the unconditional love, and Jesus says to him, not once, not twice, but three times, do you agape me? And Peter's like, no, I phileo you. Basically, I don't love you enough, Jesus, to say I agape you. Peter was being honest. He's being honest. Yeah, I don't agape you, God. I, I, I don't agape you, Jesus. But here's what Jesus did. Instead of just leaving him in the correction, Notice what Jesus does. That's okay. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Peter, I'm putting you in ministry even though you phileo me. You don't agape me. You're not fully where you need to be in Christ. You're not walking in the fullness. You're not, if you will, ordained, right? You're, you, you don't have the piece of paper. You don't have this. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are. Jesus is looking at Peter saying, hey, you're here. Feed my sheep. And we as believers, not only did, should that affect our prayer life, but it should also affect how we view one another in Christ, that we see one another as a finished product, not as the person that's kind of in reality right in front of us with all the issues, with all the problems, with all the faults and shortcomings. Yeah, yeah, like you and me. That we begin to believe as if it's already happened, that they are in Christ, and that changes my perspective of how I look at them. 16, chapter 11. It says, when the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshiped God. 
They are worshiping God because his kingdom is here. Worship breaks out in heaven. Justice, perfect leadership, righteous ruling. And they are just so happy. They're worshiping as if it already happened. Verse 17, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Notice, there is no who is to come. They're not waiting for him to come. Why? Because he's already here. They're walking in that. That part is missing. For you have taken... And in that verb right there, you have taken, that's in the perfect tense. That means God is perfectly sovereign, he's ruling, and he's reigning despite the fact that all hell's about to break loose on this earth. They're worshiping him as if it is finished. And your great power, you have begun to reign. Verse 18, the nations raged. That is, there's a deep hatred and a burning resentment. You will not rule over us, but your wrath has come. And the time for the dead to be judged for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. Both small and great. Here we are at the end of the world here. This is for everybody that's in kind of political, political mindsets, Okay. I want you to understand broken people create broken systems. Broken people create broken systems. The world's been searching for a perfect system. You're never going to have a perfect system. Why? Because the heart of man is corrupt. And here at the end, you see small and great. That means rich and poor. There's always going to be those that are poor. There's always going to be those that are rich. It's not the system, it's the heart of the people. Please, let's not forget that. That's why the gospel has the power to save. The gospel, the gospel, not government, the gospel. Now He has a government that's on his shoulders, but that's what they're walking in. They're believing that his kingdom, his rule, his reign, it is here. Let's continue, verse uh, 18. And for, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And then all of a sudden, verse 19, then God's temple, and I want you to highlight temple, please. And I want you to put this word over, temple, N-A-O-S, N-A-O-S. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And I want you to highlight temple again, N-A-O-S. Put that, that's the, the Greek word, naos, all right? That's the Greek word for temple that's written here in the text. Now, the ark of his covenant, this is actually in heaven. And people don't under, under, understand that. They think that the, the, the tabernacle and the covenant and all of that stuff was just on earth. I, I want you to turn to Hebrews 8.5, please, and keep your place. 
We'll come back here to 11, but I want you to look at Hebrews 8.5. It's just a, a, a few pages to the left there in your Bibles. Um, but when Moses was building the tabernacle and creating the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and everything, it was to be built with exact uh, measurements and dimensions and stuff that God gave him because it represented on earth what was in heaven. And sometimes we miss that. Hebrews 8, 5, it says this. It says, they serve a copy in the shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent or the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And so here, back in Revelation eleven nineteen. John looks in, and all of a sudden, he sees the temple, he sees the ark, like the real one, not the fake one that was in the, uh, on the earth, but this is the one in heaven, and from this place, it says in 19, there's flashings of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. You can put right above that Revelation chapter 4, because if we remember back in Revelation chapter 4... When, when the one that was seated on the throne, rumblings, lightnings, and thunder. And so here they're in the throne room of God, in the holy holies of God, and John is able to witness this and see this. Wow. Wow. Now, the reason why I had you uh, write down N-A-O-S there is because there's two Greek words, two Greek words that are used for temple. One is is hieron, which is H-I-E-R-O-N. And that describes the entire complex of the temple. But this word that's used here in AOS, this describes the holy of holies. This is the inner sanctuary. This is where God dwells. This is behind the curtain that was torn. And this is in heaven, and this is what John gets a glimpse of. Now, why is that important? Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 6, please. And I want you to see this, and I want you to see how amazing you are and how God has put his glory in you. I want you to see how God views you and sees you as his child. That you are sealed with the precious Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple? And you can put above that N-A-O-S. Same word. Wow. Let's think about this for a minute. John is seeing into heaven and he's seeing the Holy of Holies. And now we're in the New Testament here. And Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, who had a lot of issues, by the way, a lot. And he says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So just like we said before, do I worship as if, if it's finished? 
But now, as a person that's walking this earth, do I walk around as if the Holy of Holies is inside of me? That I'm a person that's carrying the presence of God, the temple of God, wherever I go. In, in, in fact, it's, it's, it's funny because I, the very thing I'm preaching, I just forgot as a prayer partner. So prayer partners, listen up. Somebody came forward for prayer, and I, forget, I completely forgot they were coming into the tabernacle of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of me. They don't need me. They need Christ within me, right? They need the presence of God. And man, my biggest issue is that I forget about that. I lose conscious of that fact. I say this a lot. How can you go to church when you are the church? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So tomorrow when you go to work or maybe the next day when you go to work, guess what? Hey, welcome to church, everybody. It's nice to meet you. My name is Pastor So-and-so because <laughs> I'm carrying the presence of God within me. And oh, if the church really believed what Scripture said, if we really lived in that reality as if, because Jesus is the one who said it, that the kingdom of God is within you. It's in the midst of you. And so this is the same thing again, man. If I also look at my brothers and sisters in Christ, where I see, and this is really hard, you know, Angel, but I got to believe. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Angel. He's one of our elders. I do believe. But it's like, man, if I have issues with Angel, I've got to get past those issues and focus on the reality that the, 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 the naos, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit is within him. And if, if, if he's denying Christ in some way, just like Peter, I still got to believe in the Christ in him, right? If you can't believe in that person, can you believe in the Christ in that person? Can you trust God in that person? And this is how we've got to walk. This is how we've got to think for ourselves that the Holy Spirit of God is in us, but also when we look at others. They are carriers of the presence of God. Those who are in Christ. Obviously, if you're not in Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. But for those who are born again, am I seeing people like that? All right, let's go to Revelation 12. This passage here is important for us as the people of God. So we see worshiping as if it already happened. Um, we, we see, guys, that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. His, His Spirit is inside of us. But now we're getting a glimpse, a 30,000-foot view into Revelation chapter 12 of this cosmic war that is happening right now. Like Russia didn't attack Ukraine. Understand the reality that there is a cosmic war because our battle's not against flesh and blood. 
So it doesn't cause me to be mad at Russia or Ukraine. It causes me to understand that there's going to be wars and rumors of war. But behind those things, there is an enemy at work wanting mankind to destroy one another. So whose side are you on, Chris? I want to be on the Lord's side. And I've got to begin to see things like this. And chapter 12 is going to help you and I live as if our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not the person that, that has issues. It's not the nation that has issues. It's not this group of people that has issues. Understand there's something going on behind all of that that we cannot see that's more real than what we see is real. And we've got to ask God for the faith to be able to see past, again, what's happening in the natural. Because we've been warned in Matthew chapter 24 that in the last days, Kingdom will be against kingdom and nation will be against nation. In the Greek, it says ethnos, ethnos, ethnicity against ethnicity. Right? What do we see happening in our society? Right? Exactly that. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And there's this us against them. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. Biblically, there's one race. There's one race, and it's not us against them. There's one race. We just all have different tans. Does that make sense? Scientifically. And the enemy wants you to be in your tribe, to find identity in your tribe so that he can cause division. And we see this happening here in Revelation 12. And I just want to warn us as a body of Christ, we can't allow that stuff to happen. And we have to understand that it is happening. And so this is going to help us. So some of you are like, hey, Chris, you ruined Mother's Day a few weeks ago. Now you're ruining Father's Day with this message. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, happy Father's Day again. Um, I would recommend these two books. Nick, if you want to throw those up. This Present Darkness and C.S. Lewis Screwtape Letters. Now, why am I recommending these to you? All right. It's because you could, you could kind of put Revelation chapter 12 in, in this. Not that this is the word of God. Okay. I'm not saying that at all. But Revelation 12 is a story that talks about a dragon. It talks about a woman. It talks about all this stuff. And it is a story of the war that is going on. And so what these two books are about is they're about spiritual warfare. And I highly encourage you to take these books and to read them as a family. To go through them so that you can understand what's happening. 
uh, these books radically changed my life because they helped me to get in the reality of chapter 12. It helped me to get in the reality of Ephesians 6, where our battle is not against flesh and blood. It helped me get in the reality when it says Jesus in 1 John 3, 8, that he came to destroy the works of the devil, that, man, I really understand that this is a spiritual war and a spiritual battle that we're in, and it causes me to think and move differently. And these books have helped me. I pray that they help you and your family. So happy Father's Day, Dad. There you go. In the Screwtapes letters by, Dr. C, uh, by C.S. Lewis, this is a quote from the book. It says, there are two equal opposite errors into which believers fall. The first one is we disbelieve the existence of, of the demonic. We don't believe it. And we live as if it's not true. The second is to believe that everything's a demon. And it's the cause of everything, right? And so and the reason for everything, and even giving the enemy more power, the devil made me do it. No, the devil can't make you do anything. It's because you love yourself and you're disobeying God, not submitting to God. Now you've given the devil access because of your disobedience. He does not have the authority to make you do anything as a Christian. His head has been crushed. And so these are the two errors. Where do we fall in the church? I believe we just don't even want to talk about the demonic. We don't believe it exists. And we kind of want to bury our head in the sand like an ostrich and act like it's just not real. I don't, I don't even want to go there. And again, Father's Day is ruined, but that's okay. Today's the day the Lord's made. All right, let's go to 12.1. 12.1. It says, and a, a great, and that, that word for great is mega, mega. This is a, a, a big thing. It's what Scripture's saying. It's mega. It's a big thing. It's a sign. A sign is a simple, a symbol that describes a reality of something, right? So those books, those are stories that, were, that, that describe the spiritual warfare that's going on, and that's what we're about to see here in Revelation chapter 12. This sign, this great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, and I want you to highlight the word sun, please. With the moon, and I want you to highlight the word moon, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and I'd like you to highlight 12 stars. She was pregnant, and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So, again, this is an, an allegory, if you will, of something that is really happening, but it's a 30,000-foot view of what has happened and will happen. So we have to define the characters. And for the rest of my time today, that's what I want to do. I just want to define these characters because there's some confusion on who these people are. And so let's look at this woman first. I want you to turn to Genesis 37, please, so that you can see this. Genesis 37. I want you to understand that God's promise to Abraham was through you, Genesis 12, 3, that all the nations will be blessed. 
all the nations are going to be blessed through you, Abraham, from your seed. I want you to understand the first prophecy in the Bible wasn't to mankind, but it was to Satan in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed from the woman will crush your head, will take away your authority, Satan. King David, it said from your seed, Messiah will come through the lineage of David. And so who is this woman? Let's go to Genesis 37, 9. And I believe the Bible gives us the answer here. The best commentary for the Bible is the Bible. Then he dreamed another dream. And this is Joseph, by the way. And he told it to his brothers and he said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, and I want you to highlight that. The moon, highlight that. And the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So all of a sudden, we see the same language, don't we? Why 11 stars? Well, because Joseph was speaking. Joseph was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Ephraim and Manasseh, right? He, he, is, he, is, he is one of those 12 tribes of Israel. And so... Here, this prophecy is given. Now, it had its initial place when the Israelites would come and his brothers would come and they would bow down before Joseph, um, who, who, who saved Egypt and saved a lot of the world, which is a, a, a picture, but also it had a dual meaning. And the dual meaning, we get the... the, the um, Trans, not translation, we get the interpretation in Revelation 12, 1 and 2, which is awesome. These 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I, your mother and your brothers, indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So there's a pondering of this passage. Well, he had no idea that this passage would come true and be revealed completely in Revelation 12, 1 and 2. Now, a lot of people think this woman is Mary. And we can understand because it says the woman gave birth to this son who will rule with a rod of iron. And we'll get into that here in a minute. But I have to just kind of show you um, that, that this is talking about the nation of Israel. I want you to flip over from Genesis and I want you to go to Isaiah 50 verse 1. Isaiah 50 verse 1. Israel... Throughout the Old Testament has been called the bride of God. Israel also has been called the mother, if you will. All right. And so here, Isaiah 50, verse 1, it says this. Thus saith the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. And here in context, this was the nation of Israel who was the mother, the mother that was sent away. And so throughout the Old, script, Old Testament, right, this is 
This is the mother. So verse 1 and 2, back to Revelation chapter 12. Hopefully that was interesting to you, but it was interesting to me. But we got to make sure we understand what we're reading here. This isn't a fairy tale, make-believe thing. This is something that's really, really going to happen. And next week when we get into the end of 12, what we're going to have to understand is that understanding who, who the mother is, which is Israel, is extremely important. Verse 3, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Now, what in the world? This is a weird dragon. Seven heads, ten horns, what's, this, what's happening here? Well, if you look back at the history of our world, there has been six great empires. So let me read them off to you, all right, because I'm not that smart. Egypt, and by the way, we know that through Pharaoh, baby Moses was saved, but why did he need to be saved? Because Pharaoh, again, moved by the enemy, wanting to destroy the offspring from the mother, wanting to destroy the children of Israel. So the enemy was working through this empire called Egypt. Then we see, see Syria, Babylon. The Medo-Persians, the Greece, and the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the last empire that ruled all of the earth. These empires, there have been six of them, what they have in common is they ruled the whole world as was known during that time. Six great kingdoms. Well, why seven, Chris? It's because the seventh one is the last one-world government and one-world order that's going to come to pass. The world is moving towards one-world government. Now, I want you to understand something. When you see factions that are pitching open borders that are coming against nations and the sovereignty of nations. Understand that's part of an antichrist spirit that's at work to create one world government. The nations have to fall for there to be one world government. So just just understand that from our perspective. And again, whose side are you on, Chris? I'm on the Lord's side. This is what Scripture is doing. It's showing us the spirit of the age that is at work because there's going to be one world government that comes into play. So Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the seventh one is the Antichrist kingdom, which will be the last one world government, one world empire, where there'll be one currency, where you're not going to be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark. So this is what's happening. This is what's coming. Now, what about the ten horns? Scholars believe that the horns represent in this last and seventh great empire that there is going to be ten nations 
that submit themselves to the ten horns, that submit themselves to the rulership of the Antichrist and align with the Antichrist. Okay? All right. Verse 4. We'll get into more into that later, but just for today, we're going to keep moving. His tail swept down a third of the stars. And I want you to highlight stars right there. We'll come back to it. His tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So I had you highlight the word stars. Now, I want you to keep your place here. I want you to turn to Revelation 9.1 real quick. It's just a few pages over. Because, again, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so we want to use the Bible to understand meaning. We want to, we, we, we want to understand what it's, what's being said. And this is why studying the Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, going through the book, because we've already seen the throne room, and we went back to Revelation chapter 4. And now here we are, one-third of the stars, the tails. What is that? Well, verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2 the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven. So all of a sudden, there's a star. There's a star again. It fell from heaven, and then it says, he was given. See that? He was given the key to the shaft of the bottom of the plant. He opened up the shaft of the bottom of the plant. He. So star, 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 angel, angel. So now we go back to Revelation chapter 12, and we look at verse 4, and it says, his tail, this great dragon, and we already know the great dragon is Satan, and so Satan, his tail sweeps one-third of the heavenly hosts. Now, how many was that? Thanks for asking. Let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 5, because the best commentary in the Bible is the, hey, Revelation chapter 5, we're going to see something here that's interesting. I don't want to scare you because if one-third is with the enemy, then two-thirds are with us. Hallelujah. On our side. But Revelation 5.11, it said, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creature, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads. I want you to highlight myriads and myriads, and thousands of thousands. So a myriad in the Greek doesn't represent an exact number. It was the highest number the Greeks expressed in a word. So it's like saying millions and millions. They do not have a number. It's like infinity and beyond, right? Toy Story. So, so it, it, it's myriads upon myriads. And so we got to say, man, how many is that? It's an uncountable number. So understand that there's there's probably thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of demonic beings walking this earth now. Keep in mind, if one-third fell, how many are on the good team? Two-thirds. So we have more. We have more, and obviously we have Christ. We know from Scripture and again, why is this here? I think the overarching thing of theme of chapter 12 is God wants to remind his church that there's a spiritual war going on. Don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked into to some of the stuff that's happening right now in our nation, in the world. 
Like we, we, we pray, we, we do what we feel called to do, but understand there's a bigger picture that's going on where nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we have to have the right kind of perspective because oftentimes the church is on the wrong side of things. Like deception's happening. Like tomorrow, June, uh, Juneteenth, right, is, is going to be celebrated and talked about. Why is that important? Because the enemy who operates in deception... Slaves were freed, but the people in Texas didn't find out till a year later, right, on the 19th. So that was deception. That was a lie. That was, right, keeping people down. Who's the author of that? Not America. Satan. Satan. And who is the author of the Egyptian people killing babies? It wasn't the Egyptian people. It wasn't even Pharaoh. It was Satan himself. Who is the author of the Roman Empire that killed all the boys under age two in Bethlehem? It wasn't Herod and it wasn't Romans. It was Satan. And we've got to wake up and we've got to quit coming at each other. And that's why this is important. So that we can really see. Yeah, we want to lament over things that have been done wrong, but... But man, whose side are you on? I'm on the Lord's side. I'm about his kingdom. We know from Daniel chapter 10 that there's demonic beings that actually rule over certain areas. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, Daniel chapter 10 We don't have time. You can read it at your own time. And so if they're assigned to different regions, understand what is going on in some of the governments. There's demonic beings behind that. That's why I don't trip over Putin. I don't don't trip over Biden. I don't trip over these things. There's understand there's demonic things that are behind this stuff. And there's another war that's going on. And we have to have this perspective. Now, I want you to look at at, at verse 4 at the end. That he may devour the child. That he may devour the child. You can put there 1 Peter 5.8. It says this, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The enemy, he's a devourer. And he's being exposed in this passage. He wants to devour you. Revelation 12, 5. She gave birth to a male child. And this male child, by the way, is Jesus. Jesus came through Israel. One who is to rule. I want you to highlight the word rule because the word rule doesn't mean just sitting on the throne. It's a more aggressive word in the Greek. It means to destroy. It means to swiftly judge. It means to put down a rebellion. It's a serious word. So serious, it's why it says next, he's going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. A rod of iron. I want you to flip over to Revelation 19 real quick. Revelation 19, 15. 
And here's Jesus coming back. So remember, we want to worship as if this has already happened. But we're seeing him. He's going to come back here. It says, from his mouth, Revelation 19, 15, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a what? Rod of iron. Wow. So I'd like you to keep your place here, and I want you to put above the rod of iron Psalm 2, and I'd like you to go to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. The reason why we're going from place to place to place. So we see this rod of iron in Revelation 12. We see the rod of iron in Revelation 19. We see the rod of iron in Psalm 2. It's because we begin to grow in our understanding of the word of God, and it helps us to know who this child is and when he comes, what he's going to be about. He's going to rule, but he's going to crush his enemies. Psalm 2, this was written a thousand years before Christ was born. Why did the nations rage? There's that word again. And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth, they set themselves. The ruler take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. Who is that king? That king is Jesus. And a thousand years before Christ was even born, Scripture saying, I have set my king on my holy hill. He is there as if it's already happened. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. You are my son today, I've begotten you. Who's the only begotten son? It's Jesus. Ask of me, I'm gonna give you the nations as your heritage. And so we see in Revelation chapter 19 that he rules the nations with a rod of iron. We see this in Revelation chapter 12 that he's ruling the nations with a rod of iron. Verse nine, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. This is how Jesus is going to rule when he comes back over his enemies that will not submit, that will not bow down. This is serious. I want you to go back to Revelation 12. We're almost done here. Revelation 12, verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, Jesus, who will rule. And all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up, harpazio. Uh, This is the word that we use for rapture. So the child was caught up to God and to his throne. So here, Jesus is not with the woman. We know when Herod was about to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, that their dream came to Joseph, and Joseph took his family to Egypt, and that's where Joseph, Jesus grew up in Egypt until God said, go back, because Herod is now dead. And so they stayed there in the wilderness. But here, it's not Mary. It can't be Mary, because this child is caught up to God in his throne. Does that make sense? All right, verse 6. And the woman fled to the wilderness, so not with Jesus, but without Jesus, which again speaks to this is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is going to flee into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she's to be nourished 
for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. How long was Jesus in Egypt? It was longer than three and a half years. And so here we see the nation of Israel is going to be nourished. So, This passage here in Revelation chapter 12 gives us a heavenly perspective, a 30,000 foot view of what is about to happen. Now, we know that the Bible, Jesus says, he says, man shall not live on what? Bread alone. And so as we read God's word, it should nourish us. And can you imagine these saints who are living this in real life? Saul chapter 11, where we were last week, where these two witnesses, they were killed, and they were caught up into heaven. And all of a sudden, this guy comes into the temple, he's claiming to be God, the abomination uh, that causes desolation, and he's telling people, you must worship me, and now the persecution happens, and the Israelites flee into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for them, and they begin to be nourished. Well, what are they going to be nourished with? Is it going to be physical food? Probably, but more important, spiritual food, that they can even actually read 11 and 12 and be like, oh my God gosh, it's going down just like he said it would go down. Revival's going to happen. The 144,000 are going to come and just be revived and nourished on the word of God because it's going down just like he said it was going to go down. And guys, as a church and worship team, you can come on up, please. We've got to get nourished on the word of God. And as we see things continue to come to pass, to come to pass in Scripture, the prophecies that are being fulfilled. We've got to find ourselves as people that are nourished, nourished on the Word of God. And so let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you are, you are here, that you are with us. We thank you for your Word, God. And God, we, we do, we say we believe, but, we, but help our unbelief. I pray, God, for just the, just the transformation to begin to take place in our life where we begin to worship as if it is finished. Where we begin to look at one another, even though we're going to see their faults, but may we begin to have, by your grace, the ability to see them in the finished work of Christ, created in your image and your likeness. May we come along one another like that and believe that for one another. Help us, God, to grow up because there is a war and there is a battle that's going on that you have called us into and you have said our battle's not against flesh and blood. So, Lord, may we be among your tribe, not any other tribe. And help us, God, to be humble and to walk with the reality that you have called us to fight the good fight of faith, God. That you've given us weapons of warfare, God. And that you've called us into this war. 
And you came, Jesus, to destroy the works of the devil. Help us, God, to join you in doing that and seeing people come into the freedom. Just like the witch doctor came into Christ and received the gospel and received your truth, may we be people that proclaim your gospel that help transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. We ask, God, that you would help us. We need you, God. Be blessed by our worship now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.